Welcome to the Simple Programmer Podcast. Making complex programming simple and fast. With everything from career advice to philosophy, it's the Simple Programmer Podcast. Tired of pushy recruiters sending you LinkedIn requests for jobs you have no interest in? Tired of blasting out resumes into the dark? If so, you should check out Hired.com. Hired.com flips job searching on its head by having top employers like Facebook come to you after you fill out one simple application. You also get your own job coach to help you on your next job search. If you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend you at least fill out the application. Just go to Hired.com forward slash simple programmer. And when you get hired with Hired, you'll get double the normal sign-on bonus for using that link. Hey, what's up? John Sanmez here from simpleprogrammer.com. And I've got an interview for you today. This time I'm, I'm going to be talking about talking to someone who is uh, who's a, a good friend of mine that uh, we, we go go a, a little ways back here. And uh, he's, a, he's a fellow Pluralsight author. His name is Erica Dietrich. Shoot, I, I bombed your last name. What, how do I say? Dietrich. You got it, Dietrich. Oh, there we go. See, there we go. I, I got it. All right. So uh, anyway, Eric um, has been, uh, I think, I think initially was a subscriber, like had, had found simple program. I don't remember exactly what the, what the initial, but, um, but Eric has a, has an awesome blog that, uh, that I've enjoyed. It's, it's one of the few, like, I, I don't keep up with too many software development blogs nowadays, but I always give a glance over to Eric's blog because he's got such insightful uh, inf information. And, and he really talks a lot about like, like, Again, the the mental aspect, like the the, the more on the soft skill side of software developers. So uh, that's that's definitely akin to to what I'm interested in. But uh, but I want to talk to Eric about about something today that uh, that I think is 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 critical to to all of you out there, all you software developers or, or beginning software developers. Which is you know what, what is the future of the software development market? What what does it look like? You know, because things are changing and and you know it's it's hard to have a crystal ball, but there's there's certain signals that we can pick up. And, and Eric is is pretty much an, an expert on this, I would say. And and he's got uh, he's trying to produce that crystal ball. He's got a, a book that'll be coming out. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, but yeah, I wanted to uh, to broach this topic with uh, with no one better that I could think of to talk about this than than you, Eric. So uh, so welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. So, uh, so just you know, for background here, so uh, you know, maybe you can give give your give your intro. What's what's your spiel, Eric? What what do you, who are you? What do you do? Sure, I um, spent my career in software development, kind of following the standard development track: software developer, senior architect, and then went into management. And my last full time role was as the CIO of a company. I left that to go off on my own and do consulting and some coaching. And that's what I've been spending the last, oh, three years or so doing, a lot of management consulting with um, large uh, organizations, um, Ford Motor Company, for instance, um, and uh, developer training, the management consulting. And then the next thing that I wanna go do is the uh, next phase of my career is more entrepreneurial and, and content creation um, in the developer space. So I guess the, the point is, if I were going to summarize it all, I've seen the industry from a lot of different angles. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You've done the employee thing. You've done the freelancer thing. You've done a bit of the entrepreneurship thing, and and, and going more into it. So I think that's probably why your perspective is is so uh, so good on this uh, on this topic. So so let's talk a little bit about like you know uh, we, we, you know the the sophisticated word 
uh, is is hegemony. <laughs> Maybe um, let's break, what what does that mean? It is you'll often hear it in geopolitical contexts, but it means essentially dominance in sort of a benevolent way, but nevertheless dominance. Like in a geopolitical sense, you would think of maybe the U.S. in the last half of the uh, 20th century as having uh, hegemony over the world. Hegemony. Okay, now I've got the pronunciation. Pronunciation. I think it varies. Like I think um, people pronounce it differently, but I've always said hegemony. Hegemony. Okay, I'll, I'll go with. I'll go with 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 you on that one so uh, so tell me then like for software development you know i mean i guess really where this this plays in is 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 how developers can prepare themselves for the future so what what do you see like what kind of trends do you see in in the developer market for the future well it seems as though every organization that I go to, there is, um, and, and it wouldn't surprise anyone listening, there is just a ton of demand for software development. And I see this a lot in the management consulting um, from the organization's perspective. They have a lot of trouble finding people. I mean, if you're out there and you're interviewing, it might seem like at times it's hard to get hired, but they're having an even harder time finding you. And so um, there's kind of a crunch that happens in the large organizations. Um, they're having a hard time hiring people, but they also have a lot of downward pressure on what they can pay people. Right. And so you wind up, I mean, if you think of an organization, like a really large organization, it's shaped like a pyramid. And you think of, you know, a software development job at 100,000 a year or something. If it's a small organization and, and you want to hire people and you're having trouble, you can always just boost that salary a bit, 110, 120. Sooner or later, you'll get somebody. At a large organization, you have seven layers of management on top. You can't just move the line level salary by 10 or 20,000 like that because you've got all these people on top then whose salaries have to go way up. Right. And so you've got both upward pressure um, – because of the demand and downward pressure on wages. And, and what I see is that that is pushing more and more software developers out of these organizations into freelance roles, um, into contracting roles, and into small app dev shops. Okay, okay. So so there's there's almost, I mean, this, you're kind of describing something that I've talked about a lot, which is this, this glass ceiling. But this is sort of why the glass ceiling exists, is it's like you, you can only go so high because if you if you push that glass ceiling up, well, then it pushes everyone above you up, <laughs> and that's that's really really damn expensive. Yeah. Uh, so um, so so let's talk a little bit about kind of this this whole because I think this is one of the things. I mean, so many times developers give me this. They say I don't understand. Like everyone, you're saying that companies are looking for for employees and and developers, but I'm a good developer. I here I am. Uh, why don't they hire me? I'll take any job. Uh, so, so you've got all these these people that are are wanting jobs, and then they're seeing all this news that says that companies are having a hard time firing job or finding uh, finding employees for jobs, and they're having to go overseas and get H one B visas and all this. What's the like? Like, I guess you know. What's your what's your answer to that person that's like, okay, I'm a new developer. I I, I don't have much experience, but give me a shot. Uh, and and you know, it, and it is is sort of struggling with that that problem where where company they don't understand how people can say that there's that they can't find developers when they're like, I'm right here. What, yeah. what would you say to that person? Well, one of the so as an industry, and you know, I could really get on a soapbox about this, but we do sort of a terrible job of, of finding and hiring people. And mm. it's not even unique to software development. Like in a lot of ways, the traditional job interview is pretty ineffective at, at predicting um, 
uh, people's growth within the organizations. It's, uh, I think there's a study by Laszlo Bach, who used to work at Google, where they actually kind of dug into how effective certain interviewing techniques were. Long and short of it is not super effective. So we kind of, as an industry, when we hire, we try to grab onto what we know. And one of the things that we know kind of across the board that we're familiar with is I'm going to look for somebody with at least maybe a year or two of experience on the resume. Once you've got that, you know, the floodgates are open. I'm going to hire you. But without that, not so much. That's the one thing I can sort of point to. And so I would say if you're at the entry level, the big thing to do is to manufacture that first year or two of experience somehow. Incorporate, um, you know, uh, be your own little LLC that's a software development company. Get a couple clients, even if they're almost free. And you're right. getting that experience. You know, you, you can hustle and get that year of experience on there um, in various ways. And that's the big thing. Once you hit that year or two, you're pretty much set. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree with what you said there. It's funny, too, because some people have this resistance, especially when I when I give that exact advice, like, form your own company. Like, there's almost like this, like, everyone wants to follow these rules. Like, oh, well, the, the job says I have to have five years of experience, so I can't apply for that. That would be dishonest. Or, or like, <laughs> or like I couldn't start my own company and say that I'm an employee of it. That, that wouldn't, you know... But but really, there's no rules. Like <laughs> like you just think that that's a rule. You just think that that's because that's how ninety percent of people act and behave. But there's nothing stopping you from just creating your own company. You know, build your own apps and put them in the app store, and that's a company. I mean, that like <laughs> it doesn't have to make money, but that's like you are a software developer working for a company. Like this is uh, it's it's such a a difficult thing I think to <laughs> for people to grasp. But <laughs> but yeah, I, I totally agree. Once you get that you, you got that year experience or so then then you're you're so much more hireable so okay good. that's that's good yeah i think that's great advice so um so talk to me more about about this this uh so so th- these so we've, we've kind of addressed the, the new people coming in right they, they need to get their year of experience however they're going to do that uh and 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 this is why that we have this sort of dichotomy between between you know the <laughs> the developers that are experienced and good and the ones that are have no experience and in, in why, why we hire those but what about these these guys now and, and gals that are bumping against this glass ceiling in, in the corporate world where did they go? What what should they do to get past that? That has really been um, sort of the focus philosophically of what I've written this book about and what I talk a lot about in general. And the depressing thing is, I would say, within an organization, within a standard pyramid-shaped organization, the way that you get past that glass ceiling is to stop programming. You go into management, you go into some kind of advisory type role, project management, architect, whatever. But in order, you know, there is just a, a point at which, uh, above which a line level programmer just won't get paid anymore. You can send that pretty high if you go to work on Wall Street or, um, you know, there are places where you can kind of hack that a bit, but there's a pretty hard ceiling there. So your one option is to go into management within the company. Your other right. option is basically to leave the company and go um, and come back and offer them services as an independent, which is essentially, um, you know, a route that you see a lot of uh, people who do well in the industry go. They do serial consulting gigs and you can do that. As a developer, you can probably bill up to 150, 175 an hour. And um, so that's kind of your next uh, pay raise, I think. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's, that's something that, that it's, it's kind of funny. You, you know, you're like, Hey, I was just giving you this advice yesterday and you were paying me a hundred K for it. And now, uh, and you didn't listen to it. <laughs> and now I come back and I've got an LLC and now it's worth uh, 250 K. There you go. And now you listen, but, but it's true. Like that's, I mean, that's, uh, it's funny how that works and you can get around that. Uh, but it, but it makes sense. Now you describing that as that pyramid is getting around that because it, that doesn't cause everyone else's pay to be pushed up because you kind of have this, well, he's a consultant. We can pay cons consultants exactly. or expenses. They're not employees. And, you know, I think as someone who, a non-business owner doesn't really understand that, but if you're an entrepreneur and you own a business and you're hiring people and contractors, you you, you kind of see that that that's um, especially I think in a lot of countries where, you know, I was just someone had emailed me from the UK and they're like, we can't we can't you couldn't fire someone because they don't have mommy skills. <laughs> like really? Like I like to fire someone because I because uh, they they uh, they looked at me wrong. I mean, like I, I'd like freedom to. <laughs> so um, so that's you know that's I guess that's the reality. So uh, one other thing I wanted to mention real quick because you mentioned the book. We haven't we haven't talked about that yet. So I'll put a link here. Uh, so uh, Rodrigo, if you can get a link here for uh, for Eric's book. So Eric is is launching a book. Uh, it's called Developer. Uh, Hegemony, 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 hegemony. <laughs> I get now. Now I'm screwed up. I'm just calling it hegemony. <laughs> that is fine. All right. Um, he, I actually have a little cameo in the book. Eric interviewed me, so if you guys are interested, that, that. Um, but, but definitely check out the. I mean, one of the things I got, I got to say, just to, to add, add, advertise for, for your writing, Eric, is that like your writing is very intriguing. Like it's, it's like if you're an analytical person, like this is why I like to read your, your blog posts, is because you like go so deep into like the psychological and like all, all of these aspects of it. So it's really interesting uh, reading. And, and I've read through a lot of a lot of the book as it's uh, in, in the kind of pre-release format. But uh, but I definitely wanted to, uh, to to plug that there. So so let's talk a little bit more about what's in this book. So what um, well, first of all, I think it, it's interesting always when someone goes uh, subjects themselves to the pain of writing a book. You, you got to ask why, because <laughs> it's usually sure. not a very lucrative. I mean, you can make a lot more money uh, telling Ford uh, what they're doing wrong than uh, than you can probably, you know, writing a book. So why write this book? It honestly started out as sort of a side project, a passion project type thing. A lot of the readers of my blog actually stumped for the idea of me to write a book. Um, some of the more popular posts on my blogs are one about uh, ones about office politics. Yep. And um, it sort of arose out of that series of posts that I'd written. Um, there was one where I uh, criticized a CEO that was demanding all kinds of extra time for her employees for no additional pay or, or what have you. And, you know, I criticized that culture of trying to get people not to have any self-interest. And so these, I started to take some of my ideas and organize them into what would become this book. And I was getting, you know, requests from the readers and um, this all coincided with all the management consulting going to a lot of different organizations. So it really was me wanting to say, I, I think we're going in a certain direction in this industry. And I think in the future, the programmers are going to have a lot more authority in the programming industry. Um, and here's how we can get there faster. And so it's kind of a, I guess, a, a call to arms, if you will. Like it, it's, it's strangely 
controversial to say that in the software development industry, the software developers should be in charge. And yet right. we're not, and it's nowhere close. And yet I think we should be like in the legal industry, the lawyers are in charge. They hire people and delegate out tasks, but they run the industry. And so I guess I'd summarize it by saying, I want to kind of call people to say like, well, why don't we as software developers run the software development industry? That's a good point. Yeah, that's something I never considered. Now, now, and and the title makes a little bit more sense to me now. The the hegemony because it's like the the domination. Like it's it's the error. It's the time. <laughs> let's let's call to arms. Let let's let's do this. Uh, I, I think um, you know, with with what what you said there, with with the motivation for for writing the book. That I, I think that that's really interesting because there's there's this mindset. Of of developers who like they they give it all for the company. There's almost this like you know this outdated mode of, of company loyalty, and mm -hmm. and I feel like you're you're kind of saying no 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 hold on, <laughs> this is not this is not really going to benefit you like it like it the like working those sixty hours and brown nosing is is not going to get you where where it used to because hey you got that glass ceiling anyway. So is that um, what would you say to those developers that that you know they. They want to. They want to put in all that extra time uh, working for someone else. Well, in the book and and in a blog post I wrote years ago too, I just say do the math. Mm -hmm. If you if you work forty hours a week and say make fifty dollars an hour um, as a software developer, that's going to get you a certain amount of money over the course of five years. If you work sixty hours a week, your effective rate is being cut. You know significantly. Right. And you're doing all of that in the hopes that a few years down the line, you might start getting paid slightly more. If you actually like take the expected value of that, um, what you're doing, it's atrocious. Right. Uh, doing all that speculative work. It, um, it's not that there's anything wrong with working hard for a company. And, um, it, but I, I would, for one, encourage you to work hard more for people and form relationships than the company per se. And number two, know what you're getting into, like put in all that hard work to chase after some specific goal, not just with the hope that people will notice later. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I think that um, that is something to be avoided. In fact, in the book, I call this type of person an idealist. Right. I, I divide the, uh, the pyramid shaped corporation into three layers. At the bottom, there are the pragmatists. And those are the people that just say, look, I'm going to show up and put in my 40 hours. I'm never going to get much of anywhere. And I'm going to find value in other parts of my life. This is kind of most of the corporate world. The idealists are the ones who put in about 60 hours a week. And they really kind of get into the company. And uh, I've heard you say this before, they build the company's empire instead of their own. Right. And that's inherently not really strategic. So they kind of hit their own glass ceiling. Like they don't wind up in the C-suite because that's not a strategic way to behave. At the very top, you have the opportunists, and those are the people that really understand how to sort of navigate the halls of power and politics in the organization. So right. the, the 60 hours, I love the company, uh, that's the idealist archetype. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, what I, I guess one way I look at it too is I, you know, I've, I've made the same comparison about, about, you know, figuring out what your real salary is. It's, it's based on how many hours you work. Like that's <laughs> when you negotiate your salary, you should be negotiating that because that, that really influences. I mean, that's, that's what your hourly rate comes to. But yep. I think it's also interesting to, to look at like if you have 60 hours to work in a week. And you're the, and you got to do forty for your employer, which you should. I'm, you know, I don't think either of us is advocating ripping off your employer. Like you should do the work you're being paid to do. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, but where, where, if you take those twenty hours and you invest them in working for your employer, <laughs> not even getting paid more for that, right? Or if you invest them into building your own empire, 
you know, I think one of those things has a an unbounded upside. Like you could you could build a business, you could become a million, you could be the next Facebook. I mean, you know, but but there's there's a lot of a lot of potential upside there. Whereas the other one, like what's the best that you're gonna do at a at a company? I think you know, we, we kind of talked about the glass ceiling already. It's like even if you got the best, like even if you went up into executive, which you know that that's a that's a, a long shot, it's still not gonna be that much like the upside uh, to me seems very bounded mm -hmm. absolutely I, I completely agree and one of the things that i argue for as developers in general should be maneuvering their way towards like ownership in some kind of enterprise uh partnerships freelancing what, whatever it may be but get out of that uh bounded situation yeah okay so what what would be a good way like so for, for developers to be able to do that you know so an experienced developer uh, obviously you've gone the path yourself you've you've done the, the the freelancing and and you're you're going more in the entrepreneurship route what um I, you know just looking at like your, your own history and and what what would you advise someone who said well you know i, I want to i want to build a corporation or build as an llc be a consultant but but they're like ah, I I don't know I don't know how do you, how do you even get a job doing that how do you even find clients what what would be your your advice to them? Well, I think that probably first and foremost the thing I would say is you've got to get away from thinking of the tech as the only interesting thing. Like the business has sales, marketing, operations, accounting. You have to start understanding and taking an interest in that and right. not just saying like, well, I'm just here to, you know, sling code and everything else doesn't matter. That's an inherently subordinate position. That's why we have seven layers of bosses. As soon as you start taking an interest in those other facets of the business, you start to be capable of running your own show. And then once you have that interest and you start to learn that, build something and ship it for yourself, even if it's only for like a dollar, right? Just do something because then not only are you learning about these other facets of the business, you're executing on them. And if you work for some company that has a non-compete that doesn't let you go work for a different company, don't, don't do that. Don't let a company control your yeah, life. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's sad how some some of the company. I think Joel Spolsky did this article that just you you forwarded to me because it infuriated me. It pissed me. <laughs> oh, oh no, someone no. I think Chris Hawks did, but I don't know if you read that article. But he was he was basically like trying to justify these non compete agreements and these like we own all your all your work that you do outside of our outside of work time, and it just that just pissed me off like not too much stuff just pisses me off but i i, I feel like that's just like seriously taking advantage of people and, i'm and with you so many developers let themselves get you know it's <laughs> all you're gonna do is say no right i mean i think i you know not every company but if you're at the if you're if they're ready to give you an offer and you're like no look not gonna sign this part yep <laughs> like 90 percent of the time they're gonna like uh, okay. <laughs> For what it's worth, you know, to anybody listening out there, if you're in that position, I have negotiated that on, on an offer letter before I've successfully negotiated provisions like that out. You yeah. can do it. Just, just go and say, I'm not comfortable with this and see what they come back with. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it too, like again, from the entrepreneur, from the business owner perspective, like they're, they're going to consider, they're going to say, well, we found this guy. He's a good hire for the job what's the chances that we would actually even execute on this non-compete anyway? What's the chance that he's actually going to compete? Because most people don't, right? So they're like, it's such a small risk. Yeah, we'll let, we'll let it go. You know, you know, maybe if you're like, I mean, CIO position or CEO, then, then we're, we're talking a little different there, but. Mm -hmm.
What's up guys, John Sonmez here from SimpleProgrammer.com and I want to tell you about my free blogging course that you can sign up for at SimpleProgrammer.com forward slash pblog. Now this free blogging course is going to tell you how to create a blog to boost your career. It's something that you definitely don't want to miss. Thousands of developers have already gone through the course, the free course that you're going to get by email and have learned how to create a blog to boost their career, to make more money and even to grow their own side business. It's something that Every single developer should do, especially if you're a web developer, you should have your own blog. I'm going to show you exactly how to do it, how to be successful, how to get traffic, everything that you need to know about creating a blog and even making money from it. Just go to simpleprogrammer.com forward slash pblog to sign up now. Once again, it's simpleprogrammer.com forward slash pblog. So, um, so, so what about, what about uh, on, on the other side of, of, um, of the entrepreneurship side, what what what? I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that, especially since you're planning on going more into that. This is one of those things that that I've I've been, I've been through myself, right? Because I had this dream of becoming a freelancer, and then I did, and then <laughs> I realized that I had more bosses, <laughs> and I still didn't quite own my time. It was like I I, I had a lot <laughs> more flexibility. I made more money, but I still wasn't quite didn't have the freedom I wanted. What's your thoughts on on sort of those those choices, you know, between freelance and entrepreneurship? Well, I think um, you know, I can certainly echo the the trade offs and consideration you're talking about. When I think of where the future is going, I think um, you're going to see this exodus of software developers from non software companies, and they're going to form up into these firms that I think will um, operate a lot more and more, maybe like law firms or doctors' offices partnerships. And those are probably going to be things that offer either hourly labor or some kind of productized service or some kind of niche offering. And that will be sort of the quasi-freelance model, but you won't have as much in the way of boss because um, with more people in the firm and with more um, diversity of clients, you don't, you're not as beholden to any one individual. Right. But I also think that there's going to be a huge entrepreneurship market in the coming years or a huge uh, um, space that will be filled by entrepreneurs for services that cater to these firms, you know, um, legal services specifically for small software development companies, um, you know, uh, building contracts or whatever legal offerings there might be, accounting packages specifically for these firms, all sorts of supporting um, things out there. And probably the best people to do it is uh, people that, are of the software industry because they understand this client base. It's kind of, you know, what I think is an early adopter of this is um, some of the stuff that both of us do, which is teaching developers. Mm -hmm. So the first form of supporting uh, developers going off on their own is um, people who are teaching them how to do those sorts of things. So right. I think you'll see more turnkey offerings in the future too. Like here's how you might go about setting up a contract or, you know, give us X dollars a month and we'll do it for you. Uh, things like that I think will grow a lot in the coming years. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And that, that speaks to the idea of, of this multidisciplinary, like the, the almost, um, what do you call it? Where like a polymath kind of, you know, the developer who learns something else now it becomes extremely valuable because they under, they can put their foot in the software development world, but they can put themselves in the law world or, or whatever it is. And that's, mm -hmm. that becomes like a very, it's a, it's a, it's a very, important specialization or niche uh, to fill like like you said i think you you know we, we're we're filling a particular niche <laughs> in there as well right um so um so so then it's interesting what you said i, I think one of the things that I, I would think about today is like 
So we have agencies today, right? And I always hate it when someone tells me they're going to start a software development agency because almost in, in, inadvertently what, what ends up happening is they hire a bunch of developers, they get some big client, they have to staff up, uh, and then they have this huge payroll and they're like, oh, John, I'm doing great. I'm making a million dollars a month. Uh, and then, uh, but I'm like, but your payroll is $800,000 a month. And then they lose that client and then they have to fire everyone and they're suddenly in debt because now they're, <laughs> so it looks like they're doing good. But that, that's sort of like this, this kind of repeated failure model I see now. How does that contrast to what you're saying with the, with the firms? Because in my mind, it's not the same thing, right? What's the difference there and why do you see it? Or maybe you do see the agency as, as it is the model. Uh, no, I don't. I don't love the agency model in general. I think that's sort of like an evolutionary step towards where we're going. The partnership firm in the book I call these efficiencer firms because I like to think of mm -hmm. software developers as, you know, like if you ask lawyers uh, what do you do, they say, well, I'll, I'll defend your rights or I'll enumerate and, and protect your rights or what have you. And doctors say, you know, I trade in your health, I help you be healthy. You ask a software developer, and we say things like, well, I know C plus plus, and I'm. <laughs> You know, uh, so I'd like to yeah. see us go more towards what I do is I help save you time through automation. I am, an, and that's where I got the term efficiency. I trade in efficiency, and so I think that the firms of the future, the the partnership oriented firms, are going to worry less about tools. I, I don't know why we always lead with what tools we develop in anyway, um, but I think they'll focus more on what business problems they can help you solve via automation, and so you're not going to have the same kind of scaling up. You're going to have these higher end expert firms with partners. And I see them delegating to contractors instead of scaling by hiring employees. And I proposed a handful of heuristics like you should scale in as much as you can scale through partnership and through certain types of revenue agreements and not scale by like massively um, increasing your payroll and trying to capitalize on thinner and thinner margins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the that's the problem. And as an entrepreneur myself, running a business, I, I you know I I try to not put people on payroll unless I've got like a permanent source of income of revenue that like it's not a temporary thing where I'm staffing up. It's like okay, mm -hmm. we've we've moved the bar. We've built a new product. We've got uh, you know we've got something sustainable, which makes sense. It's interesting also what you're talking about here because I think that 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 difference, right? You know you were talking about before about having the, the different skills about learning the business skills and really what you're talking about there is that that marketing skill right in, in the whole marketing industry you know the, the whole thing is you don't sell the product or the service you sell the outcome and yep. so you know so many developers I think right now are selling they're like well I, like you said like I'm a C++ developer I I, I, I write C++ code right <laughs> and, and no one's really looking for for that at, at that higher level they're looking for can you, you know, like, you, can you solve my problem? I need to get more, uh, a faster customer response time on the website. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's, you're using those tools to build that. But, but yeah, I, I see that that is lacking in the in software development field right now. Um, so what about, what about now? Okay. So there, there's, there's, I mean, when we talk about our audience here, right? I mean, realistically, like, I think a lot of people listening, they're going to say, well, you know, I would like to be a freelancer. I'd like to do that. Or I'd like to, uh, but, but 
realistically, 90% of developers are going to stick in the corporate world, even knowing that there's a glass ceiling there and they just want to make their way to the top of that glass ceiling and they're, and they're happy. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not I'm trying to knock those, those people. But what do you say to them about, because I know you've got some, some real good advice about succeeding in the corporate world. What can they do? How can they thrive there? So... I, I would say if you're going to stick in the corporate world, and I'm hoping that your 90% figure, by the way, over the course of time, as more people leave, it becomes lower because right. it'll become lower risk to be part of a partnership if there's more of them. But, you know, for the time being, whatever the figure may be, if you're going to stay in the corporate world, I'd say you, the first thing to do is have a very clear understanding of the choice that you're going to have to make, which is, are you, is, is it more important to you to keep your hands on the keyboard and to um, you know, you know, enjoy the craft, or do you want to get to the top of the organization? Because the current uh, corporate structure, as constituted, will force you to choose. So, if you're mm -hmm. going to stick around in the corporate world, you know, have clearly defined goals, and kind of charge to those goals, um, and you know, you've got to figure that out at the individual level. I think for for everybody, um, depending on their particular preferences. Right. Okay. And yeah, that makes sense. I, I've I've talked a lot about the idea that like there's certain companies where like you know Microsofts and Googles where there might be a technical track, but yeah. a small company you're gonna have kind of have to make and either way you still have to make that decision, right? Are you going down that road? Or are you gonna try and stick it, stick with it on the developer track? Now, I guess um, if you're going to stay as technical as possible, there are you know Microsoft has I think it's like distinguished fellow, so you could get to the top of your org and what they offer technically, and then try to make a jump for higher pay or for a higher position, you're basically seeking out a higher ceiling. And right. maybe if you gain enough prominence while doing that, you've been working for Microsoft, then you can go out on your own with a lot lower risk. And there's another jump. If you're um, formerly making 140 or 150,000 a year at the top, and then you decide to go out on your own and you're so well known that you have constant business, well now you can get up over 200,000. Right. And it seems to me like, you know, kind of ironically, the, the, the people that end up being in those distinguished fellow tracks and those, those high level positions are, are, are the people that have built up a brand and reputation outside of the company and are entrepreneurial in that mindset anyway. So they have the capability to go and bill $200, $300 an hour as a consultant and the reputation, yet they're 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 in the corporate, so it's almost like you you still can't avoid it. At least in, in my mind. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you do. I don't think you see a lot of people in those distinguished types of roles that are not well known in the community. At least not right. my experience. So get out there, get your blog going, get <laughs> get writing, go you know, from market yourself. Um, so so tell me what else what else have we not covered? I think you know I I, I was looking through through the book, uh, but I want to make sure there's there's so much interesting stuff here. So I want to make sure we we cover a, a good amount of this. What what else uh, have I left out that that you'd like to talk about? Well, we um. The, the book kind of goes through a history of the corporation too, which is sort of a fun thing. And um, it was fun for me to research and interesting. And that's kind of where I got some of the stuff like I was talking about earlier as to how ineffective, say, the job interview is. And I pick on that one. Um, but there are a lot of things we do in the corporate context that don't make a whole lot of sense. And I would say in general that when you talk about a corporation that's shaped like a pyramid, it's very martial, you know, it's like the military. And right. um, organizations have been assembling themselves that way for thousands of years. 
and it kind of solidified what we have during the industrial age, uh, industrial revolution, this style of corporation. And it's pretty weird when you stop and think about it that we're managing knowledge work the same way that we managed people that were, you know, manufacturing textiles in the 1850s. So a lot of the book is sort of a critical examination of like what are some alternate structures, and you do see them out there, like GitHub with its open allocation. Like there's some organizations trying to do radically different things, but for the most part. Um, we're managing work the same way we always have and sort of to the detriment. I mean, software developers need a lot of autonomy and um, that gets stifled in big organizations. So I talk a lot about how I could see um, corporations changing in the future, probably in response to a lot of developers leaving. Um, right. So if you're interested in, you know, the, the history of the corporation and uh, there's a fair amount of, uh, I'll call it uh, cynical treatment of, of the way we do things. <laughs> So yeah, that's it. Yeah, there. no. <laughs> uh, I, I get. I mean, yeah. I definitely spent enough time in the corporate world to. Uh, <laughs> I, it, it's nice to be able to just do what I need to do, right? I mean, even uh, even when I worked for a small company before I was on my own. But it's like uh, I remember. I remember doing midnight like at HP when I worked at HP. They're like, I, I need to move the people that were on my team closer, they're all spread out and they're like, oh, you got to put in a move request and all this. And so I remember, you know, coming, coming one night with my, uh, my little uh, tool, my, you know, the, the little hex tool and I was taking apart <laughs> cubicles myself and just like, and they're like, you can't do that. And I was, I was like, going to oh, say, that's big trouble. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know what happened. And I would just, I would just always say like, well then fire me, <laughs> but I'm going to do like, I, you know, I just cut through the red tape, but I, eventually, I think I would have gotten fired, but I, I ended up quitting before I did. So, but but it is it's frustrating, right? It's it's like I mean, there's there's so many. It's like this is so inefficient. Like let, let me just do what I need to do. Uh, but uh, but I can see also with what you're saying with I you know I, I guess a lot of a lot of companies don't really have lawyers on like as an employee position, right? They 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 consult that out, especially smaller companies. Mm -hmm. And and I could see what you're saying now with with software developers with with a similar type of, of structure where it's like, well, you know, you don't necessarily need to have a software developer on staff. They can be more autonomous. They're, they're a service that we contract out for their professional skills. Exactly. That really kind of is the crux of what I'm saying is that it is, if software development started out kind of as a cost center, you know, in the 70s or 60s when people were doing this, it was mainly like to make, you know, spreadsheet processing more efficient or whatever. So they would bring in somebody who could help with efficiency within the organization. And that's sort of our birth. But software development is now so dominant, that doesn't make sense anymore. It ought to be pulled out of the company where it can have a value placed on it, and that's a lot more transparent. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, you'll have maybe this staff software developer who will be more of a liaison that, that contracts out automation work. Yeah, especially yeah, that, that for companies sense. that don't make software. Like, if if you're a company, a large company that makes software, this isn't going to be the same thing because that's your business. I'm mainly talking about companies whose principal business is not making and selling software. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good point. Actually, that, that's actually just a good thing for I think people to, to to recognize too is that there's a difference between those two types of companies. And as a developer, if you work for a, a software development company you're treated quite differently than if you are a software developer working for a non-software development company. It's, it's oh, yeah. a, quite a different role <laughs> in, in, in how people respect you as well. So, um, One thing I want to get your opinion on, because we talked about this, like the inefficiencies in the hiring process, and this is something that comes up all the time, is uh, what, do you, what do you think about, you know, I've, I've obviously got my opinion on it, but about the, the whiteboard, 
support interviews and the resistance. I mean, I get all the time developers bitching about, I, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I, what is this even testing? Like, you know, they're kind of revolting against doing these these whiteboard interviews, but the companies are doing these and they're asking you to solve an algorithm on a whiteboard. What's your what's your take, you know, on that and, and kind of the advice to the developers? Uh, in the book, I pretty much say, I, I don't think this is an effective way to hire. And if companies do that, just say, no, I'm not going to, I don't interview at companies that do this. Oh, on the company side, I will say that it is their certainly their prerogative to put you through whatever paces they feel is necessary. So it, in a way, it's almost like the free market. If enough developers say, I don't want to be hired this way, then companies will change that. But for now, we grumble about it, but we go do it anyway. So, and you know, I see this in forums and whatnot that people go and they take these interviews and then they complain about it, you know, pick one or the other. Um, my advice would be not uh, from a political perspective, I would suggest not doing anything that couches you in so, sort of a subordinate role. And um, I would certainly suggest, in, in a philosophical way, I think that if you're kind of doing anonymous interviews where you're like whiteboarding stuff, you're going to fail whether you get the job or not, because you're still yeah. going to come in at the lowest level of the company. And it's sort of like, I think of it this way, if you decided to go get an undergrad degree, they would tell you to take your SATs no matter what score you get on the SATs, you're not going to be brought in as a professor. You're still going to be a student. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, like, that's a good point. <laughs> so what I encourage people to do instead, if they want entree into these um, large companies, start a thing, you know, build an open source product or whatever. And you see this in the industry. Somebody yeah. builds a really cool open source product and then a Microsoft or Google comes and buys them. When you get, when you get into that company that way, now you have cloud. If you right. come in as employee number 148,000, you're never really going to rise very high in that company. That's uh, a really good point. Yeah, yeah. We disagree slightly on the like. I I take the pragmatic approach and say, hey, just like if you want, this is what they're doing. So you you can bitch about it or you can learn how to do it and, and get the job. But but I see your your approach either you know as well, which makes sense to me. Is like at least you make the decision. If it, and I guess I would support that too. Like if you're just going to say I'm not going to do it, then just like have the balls and say I'm not going to do it. I, I don't I don't you know I don't jump through hoops, uh, which mm -hmm. will probably benefit you in the long run. I, I, I agree with that and, and but but more so i agree wholehearted with you about the idea of like how you come into the company because you know if you think about it like if if if, if i were i mean i would never i'll say never but yeah it's pretty much never i've never taken a corporate job at the, but if someone offered me a job and they're like well yeah i know we want you to leave your business and we'll pay you you know hundreds of thousand dollars or whatever and uh, and then they like tried to interview me like ask me like i'd be like what is this <laughs> i'm not like you know what i mean yeah. like you kind of like have that that level if, if you've earned it and so you if you have that level of respect for yourself but you got to earn it like it's like you said mm -hmm. like it's, it's not like you can just i mean you're not an entry-level developer and they say hey solve this algorithm on the whiteboard and you say oh you know what that's that's beneath me <laughs> like it, but if you've built a company or you've built a product and they buy that product or company and now they try and whiteboard interview then then you can really say hey look uh, yeah, are, are you serious about this or not? Like, because this seems like we're, we're, we're playing games here and, mm -hmm. and you've, you have a leg to stand on because you're not just, you're not just being an ass. So yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I mean, if you really want to work at a company and that's how they interview people, then that's what you've got to do. Uh, you know, they're offering a window for you to get in and you have to take that window if, if that's the only uh, leverage you have to bring to bear.
Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, it's very situational based on your, you know, and, and like I said, if you just really, really want to get into Microsoft, uh, we know what the Microsoft interview is like, like mm -hmm. <laughs> it's documented, people can tell you. And so if you're like, gee, I, I just, I don't want to solve algorithm problems. Well, then I guess, I guess your, your other alternative is to build a, a, a small company that Microsoft buys, <laughs> right? That's, I mean, you got two choices <laughs> <laughs> or don't work for Microsoft. So, mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Well, um, what, let, let, give me the details here. What, what? Uh, well, well. Before I, I will, I will, we'll talk about the launch. But I just want to, uh, uh, you know, be, before I, I, just out of my own curiosity, I didn't want to ask you, what are you up to these days? What, where, what, what's your plan? What's your five-year plan? <laughs> like, what, what, what <laughs> what's on your roadmap, your horizon? Because I know that you're, you're pretty much, you're going to finish the book, or you're finishing the book, you're launching the book. We'll, we'll get to that, and it's as we wrap up. But, but I want to know where you're going. Well, I am this month rounding out the last of my management consulting engagements, and then I'm going to start a few new lines of business. Um, one is, and uh, following up with the book, I'm going to start to provide some materials and information for how people can do some of the things I outline in there, um, position themselves better, and um, go off on their own. I haven't decided exactly what that content will look like yet and what mm -hmm. form it will take, but that's one of the things I want to build on some of this advice I'm offering because a lot of people are asking for that. Sure. Um, another one that's sort of unrelated uh, is a something that's grown out of the management consulting, which is I'm starting to do this productized service around offering customized code base assessments using oh, uh, static analysis. Um, that one I sort of backed into because during the consulting engagements, I would find I get asked questions by you know CIOs, people like that. Should we retire or? Um, rewrite this application or evolve it or, you know, what should we do? And I would go in and use tooling to build like kind of a case that was very data driven. And that was always a hit. So we've uh, been picking up um, and formalizing that a little and I'm going to launch that. And then um, let's see the, uh, the third thing I'm doing is more and more um, content marketing. I do a lot of paid blogging. And so we're going to grow that a bit too. But all of it, uh, my goal is to be doing everything that I can do uh, pretty much 100% remote and on right. my own time and to kind of get away from hourly type stuff. So that in detail is where I'm looking to go. Perfect. Awesome. I'm, I'm actually, I'm pretty excited about that. That uh, I, I like, I especially like that static code analysis, like done for you service type of of thing that that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a really good way to do a productized service, and then uh, and and then and yeah, and and I think that makes sense too. Also, like it'd be it's kind of cool to have that like your book be the cornerstone of, and then like you can sell a bunch of stuff from the book. Like that, you know, now you want to go more into this topic in the book. Well, here's here's a course uh, that, that will help you, or the training I can provide you. That that makes a lot of sense to me. So well. Um, yeah, I, I, I wish you well with the with the launch. Let's talk about. So, when is this book launching? I'll, I'll put the link. We'll put the link here again so that people can. Well, actually, what what do you want people to do? I, we have a. <laughs> I have my finger up here where a link will appear, and whatever <laughs> you say next will go there. So, what do you want? Like, should people go to the pre order page? Should they go to LeanPub? Where should they go? I'm going to send them to developerhegemony.com, which links to my blog and my book landing page. Because what's happening is the book is up on LeanPub, uh, mm -hmm. but we're going to do an official launch on May 2nd. And that's when the book becomes live um, through Amazon and for print or ebook. So you can get it through LeanPub now, or um, you, know, you can wait and get a physical print of the book. Okay. I'm definitely going to get my physical print of the book and put it on my 
my shelf there because this is one of those uh, books that I, that I, I'm 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 proud of because because uh, uh, I'm in it and but but because this is like you know there, there's not too many books that are talking about soft skills for software developers and and uh, I'm I'm damn happy that that you're writing one uh, you know as well that I'm not the only one out there <laughs> because this is important stuff this is really really important stuff mm-hmm. that this impacts your career way more than technical skills like you could I I just I can't emphasize that much enough so uh so definitely uh, you all listening get get out there get the get the book and read it let me know what you think i i, I want to hear uh, and, and leave some reviews for for eric to do him do him some uh, some kindness here all right eric th- thanks for your time i appreciate it man like like i said you're you're the you're the expert that i know in this like you think about these things so so deeply uh so uh, you know you'll have to come back and, and we'll have to discuss especially it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next next few years yeah. I'd, I'd like to like to see if some of your predictions come through come true here or how fast they do i am game well i appreciate you having me too it's been a lot of fun all right eric all right take care and uh have a good one you too